0: You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. We come to the book of John this morning, John chapter 16, the end of it. Uh, we're to the point in the story in Jesus' life that John recorded to us where, and we've been in it for a while, but where we're at the last night before Jesus would be arrested, before he would be crucified. We've been sitting in these chapters 13, 14, 15, and now 16 uh, for a few months even because John really slowed down. He had been there to witness these things and to have these talks with Jesus. And that very night, uh, it, it was a long, I mean, there's several chapters it's of just Jesus talking. Uh, for that that evening, and we know through even the other gospel accounts, like Math what Matthew wrote and Mark and Luke, that that night sort of dragged on, humanly speaking. That as it got later in the night, and they even went to the Garden of Gethsemane, which we're going to see next week when Pastor Larry preaches John 17, they started getting tired. Uh, they were Jesus started praying, which we're going to see next week. He started teaching them about praying, which we're going to see this week. And we know from those other men's accounts that these disciples that were in the room, even John himself who wrote this, were starting to get tired. They were starting to not really connect, not pay attention. They were even literally falling asleep while Jesus was telling them to stay awake. And pray, and so I want us, I just mentioned that because as we come to this text today, I would not want us to follow suit. Uh, Because we've been in these texts for a couple months and we think, hey, I've heard some of this before. Uh, John repeats himself a lot. Apparently Jesus would repeat himself a lot because he knew we needed to hear stuff over and over and over. I'd encourage us to not check out and to not think I've heard these phrases before, but to hear this as the word of God. Because Jesus spoke these words, many of them which we're about to read, spoke them to those disciples that night. But the fact that they were recorded for us in the Word of God means that the Spirit was inspiring them to be written for us to read. And for us to hear, and we should never grow tired of hearing it or, or just uh, discard it or, or check out. We should always be hearing the word of God as we come together week by week here at Red, here at preached. I want us to lean in, to listen, whether we're tired, whether we're thinking about the Super Bowl tonight, whatever is on our radar screen, I want us for now, for the minutes ahead, to listen to what he has to say to us because there's significant things, I think, that he wants us to hear uh, in this text today. As we read this in a moment, we're going to see two graces of god i would call them in this text one is going to be about prayer and one is going to be about peace Uh, two gifts that god gives us that are undeserved that are unmerited on our part but that are kindnesses of god mercies and gifts of grace to us one being prayer and one being peace and so i want to read for us john chapter 16 we'll start in verse 25 this is where we left off last week and i'm going to read down to verse 33 to end the chapter so i encourage you to follow along in your copy of the scriptures and hear the word of god this is jesus speaking continuing to speak i have said these things to you in figures of speech the hour is coming when i'll no longer speak to you in figures of speech but will tell you plainly about the father and that day you will ask in my name and i do not say to you that i will ask the father on your behalf for the father himself loves you Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Praise God. This is his word to us. May we hear it and believe it and do it. Uh, This text has much to say to us. I would summarize it this way. And we're going to focus on those two gifts of grace, of prayer and peace. But I would summarize those uh, gifts this way. And the, the point of today's text and today's sermon would be these. That those sinners were invited to pray in Christ's name. And those sufferers we are given peace so those sinners were invited to pray in Christ's name, and those sufferers, we are given peace in Christ. And so we're going to look at these two things that Jesus is talking about here. This night is starting to wrap up and come to a close with his disciples. And I, I want to point out to you, this is the last things, at least as John records it, that Jesus says privately to his disciples that night. If you, read, if you even just glance at your Bible at John chapter 17, which we're going to take the next two weeks to go over John 17, the very next thing says that Jesus had spoken these words and lifts his eyes up to heaven and then prays this long prayer that John apparently overheard or the Spirit helped him to know later. Uh, And then John 18 starts, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas comes to betray Jesus and have him be arrested. So these words that we just read are the last things that Jesus is saying privately to his disciples. He's going to pray to the Father after this, and then it's all going to f- unfold with the arrest and the trial and the crucifixion. But These are the last things that he says to his disciples privately that night, and so they're important for us to hear. And so let's first look at what he has to say about prayer, what he says has to say about praying in his name. So Jesus anticipates that an hour is coming, right, that, where he says uh, in verse Uh, let me see where it is that right at the beginning he says that i've said these things to you in figures of speech and he says that the hour is coming when i'm not going to speak to you in figures of speech but will tell you plainly about the father i believe what jesus is talking about there is is after he's going to be raised from the dead he's just been talking about that uh about how their sorrow was going to turn into joy when he would be seen again by them and he's saying this hour is going to come when he's going to start to communicate more clearly with them And I don't think he's seeking to be mysterious with them or hide things from them. But he's saying there's going to be some understanding that's deeper and truer and richer that comes to them by the Spirit's help after he's raised from the dead. And even beyond that, I think. We still are in that day and age where he doesn't speak to us cryptically anymore, but he speaks to us clearly, does he not? Through his word, he he helps us to understand and to know these things. And he turns his attention in this waning moments of his conversation with these disciples to prayer then. He says in verse 26, he says, In that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you, I'll ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you. And so Jesus turns this attention to prayer. And we're going to take a couple of weeks to talk about praying. Because John 17, what comes next, is this long prayer of Jesus. The pastor there is going to t- preach two sermons from that text about Jesus' prayer. And what he prayed for his disciples and prayed for us and what, how we can learn about prayer. But Jesus starts this conversation here. Even before he actually prays to the Father, he starts talking about prayer to his disciples. And as Jesus, I would note for us, as Jesus is gearing up to face his final temptation to do battle with Satan, so to speak, in the Garden of Gethsemane and upon the cross, this temptations that would be lobbed at him to just to, to abandon this plan to go to the cross. Jesus, why should you need to suffer these temptations that were going to come? We're going to see in this chapter and in John 17, Jesus is not pumping himself up by putting earbuds in, listening to some music or by shadow boxing like Rocky or something silly, corny stuff like that. He's not silently meditating or doing yoga or whatever namaste type of stuff. He is praying to God the Father. That's how he is getting ready to do battle with Satan and he is encouraging and commanding his disciples to pray as well. And even after he's raised from the dead, to continue in praying, to make that a matter of prominence and priority in their life. But when we stop and think about this, Jesus, he's encouraging them to pray. He's encouraging them to bring requests, to to make requests known to God the Father even. But when we stop and think about this at all, we take prayer for granted we take prayer for granted that the fact that I can come to God the Father with my request, that he would listen to me, that he would care about me. Think about the things, that the, the hindrance, the roadblocks to that, that should prevent us, that should have prevented his disciples from being able to do this very thing he's telling them to do, to ask the Father in his name, to make requests known to him. Think about if you know much about the Old Testament at all. the the things that would have preceded the life of Jesus and the records of God's people and what God had done and what He had told them to do, how He had told them to live. There is long background in the Old Testament leading up to Jesus' coming of sin separating people from God, of our sin disqualifying us from being able to be heard by Him, to be received by Him, for Him to pay attention to us. You see this way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. What did God do with them? He had been walking with them in the cool of the day, but he makes them leave. Like fellowship is broken, communication that's direct and that's like familial, like a family is broken because of their sin, and that continues to this day. In Jerusalem, the town that he was just about to be crucif- put on trial and crucified outside of, there was a temple constructed, right? And inside that temple was where God dwelt. It was this holy place. And do you know what surrounded that or what was in the front of it at the entrance? A thick, thick curtain that was intended to communicate visually to anybody who would come up to it that you are separate from God. That for you to even come close to him, for you to even draw near to him at all, there's something that needs to be done. There's a problem that you have and that that has to be fixed if you're going to approach him, if you're going to speak to him, if you're going to bring him anything, whether it's words or gifts, if you're going to bring him anything There's something that needs to be done. There's a separation that is there that exists between us and God. Back earlier in John, John recorded for us back in John chapter 9, the story of this man who had been born blind and who was healed. And he just said matter-of-factly back in John chapter 9 verse 31, he had said this, and everybody just assumed it to be true. He said, we know God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. And nobody disagreed with that. That They agreed with that. That God does not, left to himself, just listen to sinners. He, does, he doesn't let them on their own approach him. He doesn't give them his attentiveness and his attention, his, his focus. He doesn't turn his listening ear to them because of their sin. And so though God's people were encouraged to pray in the Old Testament, Jesus had been teaching people to pray. Their prayers would not have been to God the Father. That was something Jesus really started to do, to pray intimately to God as Father. They would pray to Him as the Lord, as God. Uh, They would pray to Him in these names, but they would not address Him. They wouldn't have the audacity to address Him the way Jesus did in prayer, as God the Father, because of their sin. And you can see in this text even that we read today, this isn't just sin in general of human beings that kept them from praying. There's sin in these men that Jesus is telling to pray. That he's saying, you will ask the Father in my name. You'll pray to him. You'll make your requests known to him. He, he's addressing, he's calling out sin in their hearts, in their lives, in this very text as he's calling them to pray. If you go down to the bottom of the text that we read, verse 32 his disciples have just, Jesus had said there's going to come this time when he's not going to speak in figures of speech anymore uh, and that they're going to understand more. And the disciples apparently think like 30 seconds later that time has arrived, that, that we understand now, we, we get it, Jesus, we believe in you, we, we're, we're with you. And Jesus in verse 32 to these 11 men in that room, and John would have been on the receiving end of this, the man who wrote this, Jesus says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. So this is imminent. This is about to happen. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. They had seemed so sure of their belief, so sure of their faith and trust in Jesus. But Jesus is telling these very men who he's encouraging to pray, You're about to scatter. I'm about to be struck. There's prophecies in the Old Testament. That's how the shepherd would be struck and the sheep would scatter. And Jesus is saying, that's about to happen now. Like, you're about to do this in a few minutes. Like, you're about to scatter from me. You're about to to leave me. And so there's sin even in these very men. There's unbelief. There's fear. There's a, a rejection of Jesus that's about to come. And Jesus is still inviting them to pray. He's still saying, you're going to ask the Father in my name. And Peter, earlier in that night, had had the audacity to say, everybody else may leave you Jesus, but not me. And Jesus had told him, you're going to deny me multiple times, Peter. But here, every one of the disciples is told that. Like, you're all about to deny me. You're all about to scatter from me. You're all about to leave me. And we should not just read a text like this and think that the problem, the distance from God is just something for humanity kind of in general or for these 11 men. But their problem is our problem too. Like, we are guilty, Peter. We are sinful people who have rejected the Lord, who have, who have, we were born sinners and we've continued in sin, rejecting him, disobeying him, walking away from him. We are guilty and we don't deserve, I don't deserve left to myself. You don't deserve left to yourself for God to give you the time of day. Like for him to have his focus on you, his attention upon you, his listening ear turned towards you. We do not deserve that. We deserve the opposite. We deserve for him to turn away from us. We deserve for him to close his ears to us, to to reject us. But, that's why I call this a gift of God's grace, that we are enabled, we are invited to pray to him. That we are called to to make our requests known to him, to ask him things, to, to cry out to him. And Jesus in this passage is inviting his disciples into intimate communication with God. And the intimate communication with God the Father, direct access to God the Father. Jesus is anticipating this, isn't he? He says that a time will come when you will ask, he says in verse 26. And we know who he's ta- saying that they're going to speak to if you even look back up in verse 23. He would have just said like 20 seconds before this, that in that day you'll ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask, of who? Of the Father, In my name, he'll give it to you. And so Jesus is telling them that there's going to come a time sometime soon where they're going to pray to the Father, where you will ask the Father, he says. And then I love in verse 26, as it continues, he clarifies this, and I do not want this to be lost in us. He says to them, and he would say to us, I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you do you get what he is saying there he's saying it in figurative language still a little bit but he is saying look i've prayed for you guys i've as you as i've known your needs i have prayed to the father for you but you are about to start praying to him yourselves like you're about to have that privilege and opportunity to speak to God the Father, not in some detached sense of some God who's distant and up in heaven that I do not know, but you are going to be invited to speak. I want you to pray to him as your heavenly father, just as I've been praying to him as a heavenly father. And he, he tells them they're going to have direct access to God, and he says that they are going to be loved by God. Did you catch that? In verse 27, he says, For the Father himself loves you. Like Jesus is telling them, in spite of their sin, Jesus, our God the Father, loves them. That that he has this affection for them, that he has this desire for them that is in spite of themselves, that's in spite of their sin. That they are invited to directly speak to him and that they are loved by him. But how can that be? Like, how can this privilege be granted to sinners like me and sinners like you and sinners like John and Peter and the other men in that room to speak to God as our Heavenly Father when we've rejected Him? When that curtain, when He said this, was still standing in the temple, how could He say, hey, priests can't even go in there, but you guys are about to get to pray to God the Father in an intimate way? How could He say it? It's because of what Jesus was about to do that weekend he was about to do that very next day and the next few days ahead that was what was going to gain them and gain us this ability to pray to god the father to speak to him in an intimate way to know him in such a way as that we may be tempted i'll point this out in verse 20, uh 27 we may be tempted to think that the way that we get this access to god is because of us and how we relate to god did you read 27 he says for the father himself loves you Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. If we just read that text and didn't read any other parts of the rest of John, we might be tempted to think, well, the way I get God the Father to love me and let me pray to Him and speak to Him is I better start loving Him first. Like, He'll he'll love me because I love Him. But you read John as clear as day in other places where he says in his letter he wrote first John, we love because He first loved us. Like, that... Jesus is not telling them, "Hey Peter, hey so and so, fill in the blank, you start loving God and He'll start loving you." Now he, I, I would use this illustration to try to understand what John is saying here, is that if you have a child, you know this to be true: that you love them far before they ever love you back, right? You you love them from the moment before they exist, if that's even possible. You love them with a, a depth that you can't even explain. But does not, in some sense, your love for them, if it's even possible, grow when they start to love you willfully in return? Like when they start to actually, you actually start to see them have affection for you or humility towards you or give you things. Your love, if it's even possible, even increases more. And, and the same is true of God the Father, that he loves us while we're still sinners. But when, we, when our hearts are changed and we do begin believing in him and loving him ourselves, I believe in some sense his love even deepens for us. His, his affection, his desire, if that's even possible, grows for us and deepens for us. But let us never think that we get to pray to God because we started loving him. It's because he loved us. And it's because he sent a Savior to die for us. It was his death upon the cross that was about to take place and his resurrection that would gain us access to pray to God. Because his death, less than one day after this, his death upon the cross would be as a sacrifice for our sins. The sins that keep us from God, the sins that should close God's ear towards us, were laid upon Jesus. And they were punished, they were dealt with, so that God's ears could be opened to us. So that, that we could draw near to him in spite of our sin, because our sins have been dealt with. That problem has been removed from us and placed upon Christ. Remember that Jesus had said back the same night, John 14, he had said that no one comes to the Father except through me. It's through what Jesus has done for you on the cross and in the resurrection that you can even have access to God the Father. You cannot come to him in prayer on your own. I ran across a story in a commentary I was reading this week of... Uh, the Civil War days, and it, if this is not historically true, it doesn't matter. It's not. It's not. It's the point of the story, the heart of it, that that makes sense, that there was a a uh, a man who came across some information that he really desperately needed to get to President Lincoln, uh, to to communicate with him, to tell him something. He went all the way, took great pains to go to Washington D.C. and as goes to the White House, and uh, this would have been before all the security they have now, but uh, was trying to get to talk to President Lincoln. He's asking all these people, all these different ways, trying to work any channel he can to get to have this conversation with President Lincoln to tell him what he needed to tell him. And he's trying and trying and trying, and nobody's letting him in. Like, nobody, understand. Like nobody is letting this guy in to speak to the president. And he gets dejected and downcast, and he's just sitting in a hallway somewhere inside the White House. And this little boy walks by him and asks him, what's the matter? And he explains to them, like, I have something that's so important. I need to tell the president, and nobody's letting me in. I can't get access to him. And the little boy invites him to stand up and says, come with me. And he walks him right into, uh, I don't know if it was the Oval Office or whatever the equivalent was back then, but walks him right in into the presence of President Lincoln and says, Dad, I found this guy in the hallway, and he has something that he needs to talk to you about. And President Lincoln gladly sits down and listens to him and speaks to him and learns the information that he needs and proceeds forward. And that, that is an illustration in some way. Nothing can really remotely describe what Jesus has done for us But that man would have never gotten to speak to the president, would have never been able to have his ear bent toward him if it wasn't for the love that the father had for that son. That's what gained him the ability to hear and to listen and to to be uh, able to speak with the president. And the same is true on a far more important, far grander scale for us that we can try any channel we want to get to God the father and have him hear our prayers and make our needs known to him and our praises known to him. But if you are not coming to him through Jesus, you will not be heard. But if you come to him through Jesus, you will never be turned away. He will always hear you. He will always listen to you because you are coming through Christ. And you're not coming on your own merit as if you have it all together and figured out, like, here, God, I have all these requests and plans that I want to make known to you. But you come humbly through Jesus and what he has done for you. He gains us access to God. And he makes us children of God. Jesus has talked several times about how And he talked using the language of father here. There's this family language. He's saying you're going to get to speak to God as father. I think sometimes we think of Jesus, because there are passages, many in the New Testament, that speak of him as interceding for us, as praying for us, as being our advocate, as those types of things. But sometimes I think we can think of Jesus kind of like this cosmic receptionist or something who like god the father has all these important matters and we just need to talk to jesus and if it's important enough like jesus will get it to the father's attention but but uh, we may just have to wait or we may think of him as like a bouncer to the throne room of god in heaven or something like that that nobody can come in here but we are children ourselves of god if we're trusting in christ we can come to him at any hour of night. We can come to him any hour of the day, any state of mind. We can approach him through Christ and he will gladly hear us. So those in the room who do not yet know God as your heavenly father, who've not put your trust in Christ, maybe you have never prayed a prayer in your life. Or maybe if you have, they've been half-hearted or they've been scripted ones you learned as a kid, something like that. But you've never really put your trust in Christ. You've never believed in Christ and loved Christ like this text says. And if you're feeling the weight of their sin and the guilt and the distance that you should have from the Heavenly Father, the, the, the deafness of ears that He should have towards you, I would call you to not let your sin keep you away from the Heavenly Father. Because your sin has been dealt with. It's not something you have to scrub out of yourself. Or that you have to fix. Your sin was laid upon Christ. the, the, The things that should have separated you from God the Father. Can be removed from you. Because they were put upon the Son of God on the cross. And what happened in Hannah's life. What happened in my life, where we went from being strangers and at distance from God, but now we're loved by Him, and I'm a son of His, and she's a daughter of His. That can happen to you, too, just as it's happened to us. And I would call you to make your first prayer. Make your first prayer today. To actually speak to God the Father and make it one of repentance. Of saying, I do not want to continue in that sin that has separated me from you. And make it a prayer of faith saying, I trust in your son Jesus that he died for those sins and he's been raised from the dead. And he will forgive you. He will receive you today as a son or daughter and invite you ongoingly to keep praying to him and speaking to him. But to the many of us who are in the room who are converted, who are sons and daughters of the King of Heaven, I would want us to note that Jesus has gone back, verse 28. He says, I came from the Father, I've come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. I want us to remember that we have our Savior at the right hand of the throne of God right now. And that that we are invited through Him and what He's done to actually pray to the living God. To pray to the one who created us, the one who, who made us, who rules all things. There's a quote I came across this week from Charles Spurgeon, a devotional book I wanted to share with you. I, I love this quote. It's been ringing in my heart this week where Charles Spurgeon wrote this. He said, because God is the living God, he can hear. Because he is the loving God, he will hear. And because he is our covenant God, he has bound himself to hear us. That is true of us. If you have trusted in Christ, if you've been made a son or daughter of Christ, God has promised you. He has bound himself to hear you when you pray to him, when you call out to him, when you cry out to him, when you praise him, when you thank him. He says, I will hear you. I will never turn a deaf ear to you. I will always hear you. But do we not take that for granted as God's people? I do at times. That my prayers become these scripted little routines that I do before meals or before bed or in the morning or before sermons, God forbid. Like we, we get into these routines where we just take for granted that we get to talk to the creator of the universe. Like us little people on some little planet in a little solar system like who have rejected him, that we get to speak to him and that he'll hear us. And that he loves us and lovingly listens to us as a father. I think often we think of praying in the name of Jesus because he said we will ask in his name. I was thinking about this this week. I don't know how many of you email a lot, but many of us if we email we have a little sign-off block at the end of our emails that just automatically gets put there and we don't even look at it. Like we just we know what it says, it's all good. And so we just fill in the top part and say what we need to say and then we forget what our end says, the end prayer. I think praying in Jesus' name has become that for many of us. Like where we pray whatever we want. We, we don't even think about how we get to pray to God or why we're praying to him or what the content of it is. And we just at the end of it, we say, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And that, that's it. Like it's this throwaway comment. But praying in the name of Jesus is a lot more than just some yours truly at the end of a letter, isn't it? Like praying in the name of Jesus means a few things. It means that we pray confidently because we are coming to the Father on Jesus' authority. Not on our own as if, ah, he might not want to hear me today and I don't know if I'm worthy to be heard. But I come confidently in the name of Jesus because he has gained the the ear of the Father for me. And so we, we pray then in his name. We pray with respect to his wisdom and what he sees as best. We, we don't just come to Him praying for our things, for our wants, for our desires, and thinking nothing of what He wants. When we pray in His name, it means we pray His will be done. Right? Not just mine. It's praying that His will would, we, would be done. And I would say this, don't forget who got you there. Don't forget who gets you in the throne room of God, who gets you the ear of the Heavenly Father. It is Jesus. And so let us not have our prayers become uh, these these self-centered, selfish prayers, but pray big things to God. Pray broken prayers to God that are confessing your sin, but confident that He still receives you because of Christ. Pray passionate, pray frequently. I've been convicted so much of that this week, to, to be a man of prayer, to be a Christian who is praying to God, not taking for granted this access, this privilege of praying to God. And I'd encourage you to pray with others as well. This command, this invitation to pray wasn't just given to John wasn't just given to Peter or Thomas or these men as individuals, but they were called, these use the word you in there are plural, like that we're to pray in the name of Christ together. And so when you hear prayers prayed aloud, pray along with it in your soul. When, when we have prayer gatherings, join us in praying in those. Pray in your dorm rooms. Pray in your families. Pray in your life groups. Speak to him. That is an important part of our life as the people of God is to pray together. So that's the first one, the grace gift of God is that he, though we are sinners, we're given access to pray to the Heavenly Father in the name of Christ. The second grace gift that that we'll end with is this grace of peace that is amid tribulation. Jesus anticipates that that his disciples are about to scatter, doesn't he? He says that they're going to scatter, but he knows even as they leave him alone, humanly speaking, he says uh, in verse 32 the end of it he knows that night that he's not ultimately going to be alone that the heavenly father is going to be with him and then in verse 33 he says this he said i have said these things to you that in me you may have peace in the world you will have tribulation but take heart i have overcome This idea of tribulation and and struggle and anguish has been something Jesus has repeatedly said to them that night, how they're going to have these hardships, these trials. He did not want them to think that life was going to be easy on the other side of the grave and after the resurrection. He wanted them to know that there would be pain and suffering and mistreatment. He knew that weekend would contain a lot of it as he would be arrested and crucified, and he knew their life that would ensue would possess a lot of pain and hardship as well. But Jesus, this this feels so perplexing to us. Jesus, he saves us as his people out of the world in one sense. He uses that language, how I'm saving you out of the world. All that's anti-God. Yet, he leaves us in the world. He he leaves us in it. Even in John 17, we'll see he sends us into it into the world we, we don't get to just have all our problems be removed from us as we now we're just insulated from all these hardships and trials we still the disciples did that heard this this night and we experienced this as people who hear it in 2019 we still till the day that we die or till jesus returns we're still going to experience the pain of the fall like our bodies are going to get sick they're going to decay they're going to ultimately die like, we still experience suffering because of our own sinful choices, don't we? We each make foolish, rebellious choices against God, and we suffer the consequences for it at times. And other people make sinful choices as well, and sometimes we're uh, experiencing pain as a, as a tangent to that, as, a, as a, a side to that, as a recipient of that. Sometimes we experience awful pain because of the sin of others in life. And we still, these men did and we do today, we still experience the opposition of the enemy, of the evil one, of his powers that be. We still experience that. And if you you don't feel like you do, I, I would encourage you, if you think you don't feel the opposition of Satan, take up our challenge this year to be evangelistic. Like to start telling people about Jesus and see if Satan doesn't ramp up opposition against you. See if he doesn't stop letting life just be easy for you and tries to discourage you and sidetrack you and make pain come into your life. There is opposition we still experience from the enemy. That is what left to ourselves we would experience in life. It's just the tribulation that he says will take place. The the trials, the the pain that will take place. But what we are granted by the grace of God is peace. Jesus said, in me you may have peace peace like jesus is telling them that they can experience peace amidst tribulation in the in the the middle of tribulation he had been talking to them just verses before about how though they have sorrow they could have joy how god would turn sorrow into joy and now he's saying that amid tribulation they can have peace joy what he had been talking about is this idea of like good cheer in the soul it's like this cheeriness of soul Peace, when he's saying that you can have peace, it has more of this idea of like contentedness or confidence or steadiness, stability. And that's what he's saying that you can have in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of pain outside of your life. And you may be surrounded by pain and darkness and suffering. He says you will have tribulation, but in your soul there can be stability. There can be steadiness. There can be confidence and calmness in your soul. And that's not just me saying that to you. That is Jesus saying that to you. That you can have peace in him. And I would note that it is peace in him. It's not just peace. He doesn't just say that you may have peace. He says that in me you may have peace. The way that we receive peace is by drawing near to Christ. Drawing close to him. Did you notice how these phrases In the world and in me are parallel with each other. And those are two things that we experience. In the world, as we live in the world, we're going to have pain and suffering and trials and hardships. But when we are in Christ, he says we can have peace, peace of soul. This this idea of being in Christ is this idea of being united with him. Jesus has used that phrase to talk about him and the Heavenly Father, saying, I'm in him, he's in me. Uh, It's this idea when he's talking about being in someone, it's this idea of being united with them, being one with them. And he's saying, when you become one with me, when you're in me, that's when you can have peace. That's how you can have peace. It's not by looking around at your environment and just waiting for solutions and waiting for problems, but it's in the midst of that, being united with me, believing the things that I've said, believing what I have accomplished for you. And I love that Jesus ends this section by saying, take heart, I have overcome the world. Because I wonder, how can this be that Jesus is going to say, you will have tribulation? But you're going to have hardship and tons of it at times. But at the same time, you can have peace. Like that could feel like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Like, how can we have peace? Like, how, how can we have peace when there's all this junk going on in my life and all this pain and hurt and grief that I'm bearing and mistreatment that I, I'm enduring? How can I have peace it's the same as the answer to our question about prayer. The way that we can have peace in the midst of tribulation is because of what Jesus was about to do that weekend. It's because that, that he was going to overcome the world. He was going to overpower the forces of evil. He He said he's about to leave, right? Like verse 28, he said he's about to leave. And we may be tempted to think, as I was reading this, I was trying to put myself in the disciples' shoes like, wait, like, you're, you're about to leave and you're telling us we're going to have tribulations, but you're saying that you're, you have overcome the world? Like, what are you talking about? This doesn't make sense to me how we could have peace. And we may be tempted to think, I had this image in my mind this week, of Jesus kind of at the end of his life like a general in combat who's kind of retreating, who's afraid of the, the combat and the fighting that's going on around him and who's retreating to safer territory of heaven and saying, but I'm leaving you all to fight. Like I'm leaving you all in the midst of this junk and this mess. I'm going to leave you all there and I'm going to go back to heaven with my heavenly father and you guys sort it out. That could be how people may perceive Jesus as he says, I'm leaving the world. I'm going back to the father, but you're staying in it and there's going to be tribulation that comes. And we may be tempted to think of, of it almost like a, although we would never say it, but like a cowardly thing or right? like a retreat to safety. But I would remind you what was about to happen that night. Like Jesus was the one who fought. Like when all these other men who said they love him, when all of us would have been there and would have done the same thing, when we're scattering when the evil one comes and when opposition comes, Jesus is the one who stood there. Like Jesus is the one who let himself be betrayed with a kiss, let himself be put in chains or ropes and taken off to the joke of a trial and let himself be nailed to a cross. Like Jesus is the one who took Satan on head on and he crushed him. Like, we are the cowards. Like, we are the people who, who are fearful of Satan, are fearful of evil, who shrink back from the things that God calls us to. And Jesus pressed on. And he could say at the end of that night with such confidence, I have overcome the world. Like, before it even happened. Like, and he knew what was going to take place. And he says, I've overcome it. Because he knew he was going to take Satan's worst. He was going to take the world's worst upon the cross. He was going to take the anger of God, the Father, for our sins upon himself. He was going to take it all. And it would seem like he was going to be crushed by it himself and fall under the weight of it when he was laid into the tomb. But when he was raised from the dead, what he said to be true here did become true, that he overcame the world. He took the world's best shot and came back even stronger, never to die again. And Jesus is saying with confidence, that is what's going to take place. I am overcoming the world. I have overcome the world. And it may f- this feels perplexing to us as Christians, though, when God lets us stay in the world. Like, you've overcome it. Like, you, you, you've conquered it. You've defeated it. You've promised us someday you're going to come back and set up your kingdom where there will be no pain and suffering. Why do you let us stay in this mess right now? It feels perplexing to us. that We hear that he loves us. We hear that he's for us. But in our experience, it doesn't feel like that. It feels like he's just allowing things to unravel and people to hurt us. And I, I was thinking about this. We Many of us spent a lot of time this week looking at the weather, didn't we? We, uh, we became very familiar, again, with the term wind chill. Do you know what, the, what we're talking about with wind chill? We talk about what actually is. But what it feels like, we did a lot of that talk this week, didn't we? Like what it actually is, what it feels like. In our lives, these categories come true as well. Like when we have suffering and pain and mistreatment and grief and opposition, whether from the evil one or for human beings or just from the national world, it feels like, over here, feels like God is not for us feels like God is at a distance, that God is not powerful to fix this or to, to heal this thing. But we need, we need to think about what is true, what actually is. That God the Father loves us. God the Father demonstrated that without question by the sending of his son and his death on the cross and his resurrection. And that is true as true can be and always will be. That God is for us. That God loves us perfectly and completely. And it might not make sense in our mind, but we're not the creator of the universe. But he lets us stay in the world. He lets us experience tribulation and pain. But we need to trust what is true, not just what it feels like in our life. We are in him. And we do have pain in our lives. We have struggles and hardships and griefs that if we took time to share them like we do in our life groups, if we took time in a gathering like this, we'd be here all day to hear the griefs and the pains that are going on right now that are going on today. And we should never deny those. We should acknowledge those. We should not try to pretend that our problems don't exist or they're not weighty or they're not heavy on us. We should not just spiritualize things into a denial of the pain, into a denial of the suffering. We should not try to spiritualize it away, but we should acknowledge and prayer our sufferings. We should go back to this asking in his name. We should call out to him and acknowledge, lament the brokenness that we're feeling. And we should ask for God's intervention. Like we should ask him to, to fix it. We should ask him. We should cry out for him in the name of Jesus to heal this hurt, to stop this person, to stop this pain. That's something that we should be doing is crying out to our Heavenly Father, asking him to intervene. But even as we ask it, though, we need to be also not just praying to the Father but speaking to ourselves as well and reminding ourselves of what we know to be true the good news of Jesus, that the Son of God came and died for my sins and was raised from the dead, and he intercedes for me, and someday he's going to return for me. That someday he will remove all pain and suffering, he will right every wrong, all things will be dealt with, and there will be nothing but good love for eternity for me. And right now he's leaving me in tribulation. I don't get it. I don't understand why. But we need to remind ourselves of the good news of the gospel. And we need to repeat that process over and over and over. We need to acknowledge the pain that we're in. Listen to the pain of others. And then together to cry out to God, Lord, how can this be like, please intervene here. Please fix this. Please help us in this situation to bear under this. But please remove it as well. We should be doing that. And then we should be reminding ourselves of the good news of God. That he loves us and is for us even when it doesn't feel like it. And we have to trust him, trust his heart, trust his hand. Jesus ended that night before he lifted his eyes to pray by saying, take heart, I have overcome the world. And though they were sleepy when they probably heard that, I think Jesus wanted that to be what was echoing in their heart that Friday and that Saturday in that Sunday, and I think that's why he had to be recorded in the Bible for us to hear, is he wants that to be echoing in our heart. I have overcome the world. Like in this world, you have tribulation, but take heart, he says. I have overcome the world. May we believe that. May we embrace that in the midst of our suffering. I'm gonna